Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about profitability and ROI because ROI is not a four-letter word. It's a three-letter acronym. So today with me is Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Todd Schomburg. Hey. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? And I'm Matt Brueger, and we're all with Tilth Agronomy. So today we're here the week after Thanksgiving. Hopefully everyone had a good turkey day. It was good. It was didn't, good. I didn't fall asleep after my trip to fan. I did twice. It's good football. Yeah, no, it was a good day overall. Got Slo- to see Jerry Jones upset, so that's always a good day. Slowly becoming my favorite holiday. I don't I'm not expected to do much other than eat and watch football, so I don't know why it took me so long to come around on Thanksgiving, but I'm I'm here for it now. And you don't have to buy anybody anything. Yeah, that well There's no I, expectation of I have to buy something nice for the turkey usually. Yeah. Some stuffing or cranberries. <laughs> Nice mix on the plate. Make it feel comfortable before you eat it. Yeah. Got to please the turkey god. How many turkeys do you think get? Oh, it's got to be a lot. Millions, right? A lot. Maybe not millions, but... Turkey. No, it's probably it's millions. How many households are in America? Yeah. And like, I, just, I bought ours you know, a week or so before. I'm like, man, there's like 40 turkeys in the case, and I'm just in one store. Well, I know, like, my dad, like, they give out hams and turkeys around the holidays, and they have, like, a semi of turkeys and a semi of hams that they give out. Like, that's a lot of turkey. 46 that's, that's million a, turkeys. There that's we go. The number. That's a lot of beer, too. Turkey and hams. I didn't, didn't see that pairing coming. <laughs> the, the bread guy, Nick's buddy, said stuffing is just stupid. How many boxes of stuffing really? he had to, like... Oh, I'm sure. He just took literally loads of stuff, you know. Wow. Like, it's probably the only time he delivers stuffing. Yeah. Maybe not, but well, the price they probably do it again for Christmas, yeah. and then that then it's probably done. we're good. You we're don't s- you don't see stuffing at uh, your Fourth of July party. We're stuffing at Easter. Uh, no. I, you could, I I don't think we do. I don't but think we do. Yeah, that's it's, underrated. It's Thanksgiving stuffing's underrated. The best it's, is oh, yeah. that, no. that cranberry can thing that you oh, get yeah, where the, you still the lump see of, the can. That's oh, yeah, that's shaped so like good. the can. Yeah, I have to. It says admit. eighty million pounds of cranberry, cranberry sauce. I like how at holidays we uh, have salads that are basically just whipped cream and nuts. It's like, I'm going to have a Snickers salad today. Yeah. My daughter specifically, like, we asked each kid what they wanted for like to make the Thanksgiving meal, you know? My daughter was like, that cherry fluff stuff. I'm like, okay. So Gotta shit. have it. Yeah. In, so In our family, it's the p- pistachio yeah. salad yep, yeah. with the cherries on top. Yep. Yep. It's got marshmallows in it, right? Marshmallows yeah. in it. Yep, yep. It's a really good salad. Oh, yeah. So 46, what did you say, Todd? 46 40. million turkeys. Yeah. Got the axe. It's your, uh, Just your like opening gold. opening season for uh, winter weight gain right there is Thanksgiving dinner. with. <laughs> I think that's why you don't like it, Max, is wrestling. When you wrestled in high school and you couldn't eat oh, yeah. at oh, Thanksgiving yeah, yeah. and we, Christmas. So, like, oh, well, yeah, after Christmas, at least you got the two pounds. You're like, yes. We used to have, we used to have our, I can have a candy bar. our pinch test and a scrimmage the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> so we used to have to make weight. And wrestle like a full day the day after Thanksgiving. I remember being like, "This oh. sucks." Oh man, they moved it now. Now we're good, but all that food and you just gotta let it sit there. I usually ate it. I usually ate it and then like paid the next day. No, here I am at like you know you have Thanksgiving lunch and then here's me at seven o'clock on the on the <laughs> Aerodyne <laughs> just giving her the her. beans. Yeah, eat, sleep for an hour, and then just work out basically yeah. till the next day. Got him. Got to make way. Got to make way. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, well, let's get into it. Talk about some different types of investment, not the investment we're making in our waistline, 
with Thanksgiving, but the investment we're making in our businesses. So, um, Bill, this kind of came from something you sent out to us. You saw a tweet talking about uh, whether the amount of money we spend on planters is really makes sense. So I thought that was a good idea. So is having planter accuracy more important than fertilizer uniformity? I think is roughly, that might be paraphrasing what the tweet said, right? Yeah, and I guess, um, you know, in the last 15 years, um, all these companies have really focused on what can we add to the planter, downforce, um, all that stuff. I mean, there's a billion things that seem to be on a planter now. Just think about like precision a, planning created. Yeah, right. That's this, like exactly. pimping out your planter thing. Yeah. Yep. Seed firmers right. with organic matter sensors. and mm-hmm. Right. And like, I just, I thought like, okay, I was just at a guy yesterday and he's talking about putting all this stuff on the planter and it was going to cost him like, what was it, $700 a row unit and he's got a 12 row planter. And it's like, oh my God, you know, you're going to stick nine grand or whatever that comes to into your planter. And just talking about is all this stuff we're adding to this planter really helping our uniformity when we have crappy soil we're planting into, you know, wet ground we're planting into, it rains an inch after we plant. So we can put it there, great, but is it it's not gonna come up because of other factors. So is that all that money you're spending on your planter really paying off? And I guess that's kinda what I wanted to talk about today. Yeah, do you really need your planter to tell you how bad of a job you just did planting yeah. in that wet field? You're, or it sort of just tells you are doing good, but do you really know if it really is? You know, it might say it is, but is it? I've had it a couple times where, where when you go and check, you know, you're checking depths and things like that, and you go back to the farm, and you're like, hey, uh, you know, your depth was off by quite a bit. You know, we, were only, we only had our corn in a quarter inch, and they're like, well, the monitor said it was fine. <laughs> yeah, the, the monitor said that, but... But I was out there, and definitely is not okay. And maybe that's a good point, Max, is the little fancy computer screen in your tractor can tell you a lot, but is it telling you what you really need to know? So you still got to stop the planter and look. get out and look. And um, Just think of all the pimping of the planters. I mean, I feel like we used to pimp our pickup trucks more. Like, that was the number one? or I don't know what where where this started or what else we could be. I think precision, (laughs) I remember when I first started in the consulting business 15 years ago, we took a trip down to precision planting. And they give you steak dinner. Yeah, I mean, they they, they they figured out how to treat you. And, um, you know, they show like the slow speed seed dropping through the tube and how if you hit up, you know, one little bump, how much that changes that seed trajectory down the tube. And that's equates to, you know, so many feet as you're driving and how that could screw things up or inches, you know, and, and they showed, you know, they took ears and okay, Oh, here's, if we, here's what the ears look like if they're seven inches apart and they, they had a whole board of ears on, on nails. And then here's, if you got a double, you know, and they showed this, this scrubby ear and basically visually hitting home that point of, we got to have a picket fence. And I get that, you know, that's part of it, but, what I'm guess what I'm getting at is, are we able to get that picket fence with the ground conditions that we're putting this in? So we're spending all this money on these row units. And Max, you're shaking your head. No, we're spending all this money on these row units, and then Mother Nature kind of does a curveball. Does what she wants right? as usual. Yeah. I think that if we can get perfect conditions, that all these all these add-ons probably make a difference. But for 
the last two years especially, I have yet to see a field that was worked and planted and looked at and thought, wow, they did a really nice job there. It's I would almost like, disagree with what you said. You said if they're perfect conditions, these help. Sometimes when it's perfect conditions, you don't need all this add-on well, stuff. You know, like I just mean, I just mean if it's perfect it conditions, right. those monitors and stuff like that probably do a better job. Like the those uh, those add-ons are doing a better job under perfect they're, they're conditions. Working, they're working, they're working better, correctly. Yes. Yep, they're doing where, what they should be doing. Where yeah. right now they're basically like it's look at these awesome look at these awesome wheel wheel scrapers I have, and it's like yeah, that's great. Think about what you just said. Yeah. Like we are, you need a wheel scraper. Why are, are you planting? We are in trouble here, guys. We are yeah. scraping our wheels, and it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. I think you got to look at what what data is the most important, and you pick your add-on. Like, okay, maybe I maybe I want the organic matter sensing seed firmers because that's going to tell me more about what I'm doing and give me a better idea of how I can change what I'm doing than just having. You know, knowing what exactly what my downforce is. If I get out and I go check, and the depth isn't enough, I know I need more, more down pressure. So, do I really need a monitor that's telling me it's all right, and then it's not? So, yeah, and look at what else we could invest in is you know fertilizer uniformity, spray uniformity, drainage. You know, I think that's what your point really was, Bill. Is make sure you're looking at other stuff for you know first before worrying about getting a picket fence, right? And I've had so many conversations since July about, you know what, maybe I'm not going to rent that ground. I think that's maybe a coming topic here in this in this podcast, but I'm not going to rent that ground. I'm going to spend a little bit more money on the land that I own and control and put some more tile in because I think that, the, the farmer talking here, I think that going forward with all this rain we've been getting is fields that are tiled, um, are really going to be the ones that make you the money, not not just going and renting another piece of ground to have some more ground to rent. So, yeah, there's and we see it a little bit with sprayers. I mean, different nozzle types and um, different monitors on there that are telling you how good of a job you're doing spraying. But we still get spray skips sometimes. You know, we went from foam markers to working on GPS, so that was an improvement. But planters have really just been the oh, you got to have this, got to have that type thing. And, and really, yeah, there's a lot of other places we can spend money that might make more sense. I mean, if you can afford it, great. You put whatever toys you want on your planter, but make sure you're you're making money off it, not just doing it for the sake of doing it. And I feel like that's my number one question I get in June. Why does my corn stand not look the way it should? I got all this stuff on my planter. You know, I got the the new John Deere thing with the brushes that drop the seed and not, you know, not the the tube falling and why aren't we here? Why what is wrong? And I just feel like from looking at these fields day after day that it has nothing to do with the planter. It really doesn't. It, it has everything to do why we're not getting that stand is sandhill cranes, it's insects, it's weather, it's those kinds of things are why we're not getting it. I think our technology is there to put it there, but obviously our technology can't keep the crane out or keep Mother Nature from raining six inches after you plant. It's compaction from our giant planter um, and our giant tractor yeah, that we're yeah, pulling right. that's full of fertilizer. And Mic drop, Matt. Control. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it safe to say right now the biggest, I don't know if it's really an add-on, but maybe the most money or the best place to spend your money on a planter is maybe investing in different closing wheels to deal with the bad conditions we've had? I think right now that's where I'm at. Like, hey, if we can, if we can have multiple different options, and you know, depending on the field we're in, if we have to change, you know, we have to go one spike, one 
one flat or double spike or whatever, whatever it takes, I think that we need to have those options on our closing wheels. I, I think with closing wheels, though, too, every year is going to be a little different. Like this year, it really didn't matter because we got – there was one uh, – I'm going to put finger quotes around this upside to 2019 – if your furrows didn't close, we had enough moisture and everything Everything germinated, you know. It right. really wasn't that big of an issue this year, whereas you get a year, even last year, I think it was more of an issue where furrows didn't close because you were mudding it in and all of a sudden, nope, well, that seed is just sitting there baking in the sun or, or fertilizer got spilled on it and now it's burned. and mm. Roasted corn, you know, it's yeah, good. Yeah. It's better that it's good. way. good. Underground. And roasted. I think, too, guys, you know your soil types of your farm, right? So, so. Play with the row unit. Play with the closing wheels and and pick which set of closing wheels is going to do best for your soil type. I'm I'm even in the camp that maybe we have you know we have four different kinds of closing wheels for every row unit and we keep a couple in the shed every year. Hey, this year the spike wheels just aren't doing it. Put them in the shed, and next year the spike wheel will be the greatest tool you have. I think maybe it's time that we start investing that way and kind of hedging on what we're going to have for this year. Yeah, I think a lot of guys do just like, oh, these these suck this year. I'll throw them away, buy new ones, and then right. maybe the next year they're like, oh, I wish I had that. That, and I think that's where we need to make the changes. If we're gonna buy new closing wheels, let's keep the old ones just in case. Yep, I agree with you guys. I think that's that's a big thing is getting that seed furrow closed. We don't want the compaction on the sidewall, you know, which is obviously very important. Uh, for emergence and then depth you know just if you don't have a consultant coming behind you looking at depth you got to get off the planter and check depth it's so critical um to get that depth where you need it to be and that's that's huge i just guys gotta watch that and and deeper the better how many times you get like oh i planted shallow because it's late or i planted two two inches Uh, it's never gonna come up no Two inches. What yeah. do you What do you think uh, for those custom guys? Your the farms that are hiring a custom guy. Do you trust Do you trust that tractor operator to be out checking, or no? Do you go out on your own? I do. I still do. Well, I'm saying like if I'm the farmer, obviously consultant. That is our job to go check that. But if I'm a farmer, I'm I, me. If I'm the farmer, I'm behind that guy. I'm making sure because his job is to make sure it gets in the ground, not to make sure it gets down to two inches. I mean, he doesn't. If it doesn't come up, it doesn't really fall on the on the custom operator. So you kind of have to police that yourself, I think. Yeah, I I think at any time it's always good, whether it's you and the planter or, you know, your dad or your kid, you know, make sure somebody's checking it and it doesn't help, hurt to have two pairs of eyes looking at it. As a consultant, you know, we're there, we're trying to check every field, but if we were there a week after you planted and checking your depth, it doesn't really do much good. It's got to be when it's being planted is is the best time. And, you know, we try to get out there as much as we can, but sometimes we just can't be in every field when it's getting planted. So, You guys, uh, and you guys talk about, like, infro. Um, any of your growers talking about different things, doing with infro, throwing stuff in. I mean, I got a lot of guys that are adding different fertilizers, and now they're doing the, I forget the name of it, it's a bandits or not, but we're the, the instead of... Infro, you got one tube laying, laying the fertilizer. Now it kind of wise out, and you got laying it on either side of the seed. And I mean, there's so many new things guys are trying to do with infro fertilizer and and that kind of stuff. Um, any thoughts on on that? Did you guys have? I think we have the same conversation on most farms every year. They get halfway through planting, and they're like, 
you know, the first stuff is coming out of the ground and they say, okay, well, this looks like the stand looks like it's having a hard time already. Should we change our uh, fertilizer setup? And it's like, well, it's really hard to do that now. Um, but we can, we, we can try, but I, I don't think you really can change your location. I think you can really just change your formulation at that point. But definitely guys ask every year, um, what can we do different next year? Starter's a hard one because you start, do you even need the starter sometimes? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of years where even this year we didn't use a lot of starter in a lot of farms because the weight, the liquid brought, so we left yep. it off and... It, it was fine. I mean, I don't think they had any hidden yield loss or very little. It was um, as good as it was going to get this year. Right? Yeah, right, right. So then that's the first question is, do you really need it? Where's your fertility at? You know, how good is it? And then, like you say, Bill, now I think the next pimping out the planter thing lately has been, you know, your your furrows, your two-by-twos, and trying to do both or, you know, one or the other, and how do you do it? And um, that's a tough one too. I, I prefer two by two. I just honestly do. I've, it's safer. You can put some nitrogen next to it. Yeah. I like that. Um, you know, throwing five gallons of cement next to it, two by two is to me really nice. Whereas the inferos, I, I mean, I've seen some gain gains on plots, but there's times where we don't see any gain with inferro either. And you, I've had it where it's burned seed and all of a sudden then you're sitting going, we just screwed up a lot of stuff by having that so and, I, and i've seen it too todd where the planter actually kind of like surged so like if you took the gallons you got to the end of the field and the gallons were good but it was like zero and then it shot out seven or eight and then it was zero and then it was shot out so i mean that's where you're talking about burning um so you got to kind of watch that um just was in a meeting yesterday with a farmer and i mean we're kind of adding to our inferno so a little bit different conversation than what what you were having, Todd, but there's so many cocktails of stuff, you know, 1034-0 and zinc and the plant growth regulators and all that stuff you can add. And I I think I like it from the standpoint of the zinc. I think we need to get a little bit more zinc in the in the furrow and get that on early. Yep, I agree. Um, yeah. So that so how do you do that, right? You got to have something to carry that zinc in because you, you don't have enough gallons there. So that's where that in furrow comes in good. But um, obviously you got to pencil that out too yep and you know if you're putting a chelate in sometimes you get gumming and planters so you got to make sure you're yeah. using a good mix and not leaving it sit in the planter if you're in between with zinc and get kind of i've seen that on some farms too mm -hmm. where you get the gumming in the planter and the guy's pissed and um i think with no-till starters important yeah. even a year like this just in general having that little bit of little bit of something to kick it into gear is probably more important than a conventional till field. I got a good starter question for you guys. Is my starter good from last year? <laughs> That's I I love this question. It's my favorite question to answer. Is my starter good from last year? Bill? You almost feel like why are you asking that question, right? Like shouldn't even be shouldn't even consider that, right? Well, I don't I'm I'm always half inclined to be like I don't know. I, what, what did you do with it? Like, yeah. you, was it all, you know. Well, and how much K is in it? You know, yeah, what's in it? What's, what's the makeup? Because yeah. if it, right. a lot of that stuff, or the PTRs he, might die, and then the K will settle out. But and, even that, that's not a that's not a science. That's an art knowing, like, yeah, you had this many. Okay, yeah, it's probably fine. It didn't get that cold last winter. Like, you know, it really, we should probably just plan on some new stuff, probably. I yeah. think. Get Put it. 
Put it in your sprayer and yeah, put you know, it over the top. Yeah. yeah, just go get rid of it somewhere. And hopefully, you know, most guys don't want to have that money sitting in the tank, so they're getting pretty getting, close at the end of the year. They can get their tanks down pretty good and get rid of her. Just don't put it in your manure pit, right? Correct. Bill, was it the rebounder that you're thinking that yeah. eases it out? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yep. just the different seed firmers now that you can get that do some unique things. That's kind of neat. A lot of stuff. You know, it seems like one thing that farmers think about a lot is what can I add to my planter because that's going to make me money. And, you know, it just needs to be tested before you dump a lot of money into it because I just I don't think that it's a silver bullet by any means because there's so many environmental factors that's going to change that. No, yeah, it's like anything. You got to try one thing at a time. Don't put thirty million things. You know, spend ten grand putting all this six different things in your planter, and then, well, okay, it did a better job. But which of the six things you put on really made the difference? You you don't know, and, it, and will it be different next year? Like you said. And here's a perfect example: small farm I work with plants about a hundred acres of corn, six row John Deere seven thousand. It's an old planter, but it still does a good job. He spent all the money to get the precision planting finger pickups, and he's got the little where he's got to take the screwdriver and changes the brushes for the um, to set the seed size, and he does a great job of that. But he's got one row unit that he can't figure out why that every year it plows, like it just digs into the ground. <laughs> so every year we talk about it, and I'm like, something's wrong with the. The, the springs or something mechanism on that row unit and we just can't figure it out but you know he's got the precision planning so that's great but that one row always comes up three days later than the rest of the planter so he's got five rows that come up good this one row slow to come up okay great we spent all this money on on this precision planting and maybe we should have just bought a new planter or changed out that whole row unit yeah fix or, that row unit first right yeah. so kind of got to look at the what do they say look at the forest through the trees or whatever you know yep. look at the big picture too not just focusing in on this little pimp my ride thing if you guys had to pick starter fertilizer liquid or going back to dry would not not considering how much it sucks to fill dry and all that dry 100 percent. yeah, yeah. oh yeah dry. dry dry yeah no that's that's what's hard with me is Think of how many planters in the last 20 years were dry and now switched to liquid and what we've changed in our fertility program by doing that. I mean, when you're applying 100 to 200 pounds of a 923.30 automatic, you know, and now it's, now we're getting more, you know, you're getting, say, 100 pounds to make it easy math, you're literally getting the 923 and the 30, and now we're getting more like, you know, six. 10 and 6. It's just You bring up a good point, Todd. We've been, as consultants in the state, been complaining about soil test potash levels. Yeah. Just think about that math you just just did right there. We used to put 120 to 180 units of potash out with the corn planter. If you're doing, not that much. No, but... But still, you're even nine triple nineteen or nine twenty three thirty, you're putting. If you're doing three hundred pounds of nine twenty three thirty, that's ninety units of potash. We don't even. Some guys don't even put that on total. Yeah. Right. And how, and how many times do we sit there and well, yeah, this this corn needs the potash. Right. It's like, yeah, well, because we're not putting it out because the liquid is poor at it's getting poor. potash. Right. Out. So, so 
we've kind of beat our head as consultants. Why are these soil I mean, test levels? I, so I know bad. we're not going to go back to dry right fertilizer, but it, then it gets into do we band, you know, band our P and K fall applications or go to something like that where you're essentially doing that similar thing. So we work with a relatively large grower, a couple thousand acres, and they're still doing all dry fertilizer. That's cool, and it is. It's nice. Yeah. I mean, they, they have their complaints, obviously. They're dealing with dry fertilizer, but it's been pretty successful for them. Yeah. And, and I think you see it in their soil tests and you see it in their yields. So it, there was downsides to, to Remember, Bill, when you dig in August and you'd still see yeah. granules there that weren't broken down. You know, that it, it, the year. The, the breakdown isn't always what you want, but it's still there. And especially well, if it's p- potassium, it's going to. Feed the soils. So. The dry hoppers corrode, and then yeah. it doesn't oh, come I, out evenly. I'm not and, saying and, I ever yeah. go back. I'm just <laughs> saying, if perfect world, if you picked. The other one is uh, the good one is always, and I'm I would be guilty of this as a farmer is we put those uh, augers in the bottom of the the boxes. You know, we last year, and then we put them back in for this year. We put them in backwards. Nice. You know that. I've heard of that happening a lot where, you know, all of a sudden, it, why isn't my fertilizer coming? Oh, I'm, I'm always breaking shear backwards. Yeah. You know, they're backwards. You know, that's why they're, yeah, so pretty crazy. All right, so there you go. Look for that return on investment with your planter. Make sure you're actually getting some money out of what you're throwing on the planter. Don't just do it because it's cool because it makes us, your neighbors jealous. Actually think, of, you know, pencil it out. Look at the value of what you're putting on the planter and make sure you're getting that value back. This, with anything, we don't want to pay for yield. If we can avoid it, we want to make money on what we're doing. So, All right, let's move into our next segment here. So for today's spotlight, I uh, just wanted to talk about other ways of managing your business and farming is a business, whether we want to think of it that way or not. Um, and that's using your smartphone. A lot of farmers have smartphones now to manage your time and business. So apps that can help and how to use them. So just, you know, I got a couple examples here and whatever you guys are using that maybe help out. Um, big one is your calendar app. Actually put stuff in your calendars. You can have reminders where your phone will let you know, Hey, you got this going on. Um, can save you time and help you manage your time where you know oh yep i better better get going i got this going on today um so that that one's pretty simple um even in the calendar matt sometimes the schedule you know things that they got to do every day is good to you know milking cows here just to see blocks of your time and how much it's basically you know it's you got things that you got to do every day and suck up a lot of time in your day oh yeah and you know i think i don't know if farmers with smartphones do it as much but i know a lot a lot of us i i only use my cell phone as an alarm clock i don't use a traditional alarm clock anymore yep oh really so so if you forget to set your alarm then you've got that reminder that'll buzz your phone too uh, I so still use an alarm clock yeah me too it's like 20 years old (laughs) (laughs) it's 20 years old it's 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 going on its last leg, so if I want to snooze, I really got to bang on that bar, that snooze bar. So oh, maybe you shouldn't be snoozing. Maybe not. Mm. Last year, I got a new, really, really sweet alarm clock. It's got a light in it that slowly, like, gets brighter, like, 15 minutes before you're supposed to wake up. That sounds it's, terrible. It's sweet. Yeah. It's freaking great. 
I when saw, it's dark like now, it's like I saw one that you have to like, get out. Like, and st- you have to get out of bed and stand on it to shut it off. Stand on <laughs> it. Stand on it. Yeah. That sounds terrible. Yeah, no, that I wouldn't. I would just Next set like a pile of books on it every <laughs> night before I go to bed. Pretty soon, then you're gonna have this hand come out and whacking you on the head, Max. Yeah, I, th- I think they may actually have that. Uh, probably, it's called your wife. But yeah, you probably yeah. yeah. If your alarm goes off too many times, <laughs> it's your wife yeah, beating you over the head. Like get, get out of bed. I live with somebody. Not gonna say names, but they set like nine alarms to wake up, and the one or two days a month that I actually can sleep, I am like, oh my god, shut it off! I am done. <laughs> Talking about apps and farmers, um, I was at a planting session yesterday, and and he's we we just were talking about pimping your planter, and this guy uses climate to plant and basically to to log where his fields are, and then you know twenty twenty monitor and all that, and um. You know, it was cool that he could bring up his iPad and he can show me directly in the field where the varieties were good. We had some side by side, so he could we could see okay, we're picked this variety over that variety because he could show me yield, um, kind of on the fl- on the fly, and we could change things around. He had a he had a grain plot, so we could pull up each variety and see the yield right there. So there are some apps that are are pretty. Yeah, John Deere Operations Center too has yeah. come a long way. Yep, yeah, you can look at your your applications, your as applied maps, right on your phones. So that's pretty neat if you're using um, a mo- John Deere monitor, obviously. And in that case, it works with any tractor, but you still have to have some way of collecting the data to send it to the John Deere cloud. Um, I like the feature on. I know Android's got it. iPhone probably does too. The ability to schedule texts. How many times are we in the field? You know, in the middle of the night, and you remember, oh, I got to talk to somebody, but I don't want to text them right now because they're sleeping, or you know, no, I'm not going to get a hold of them. You can schedule a text, put it yeah. in, have it send it. You know, six, did not know that. I just no, it's actually today. pretty. Yeah, you yeah. Just, six a.m., eight a.m. You know, whenever you know, you know in. it's going to be appropriate to no, text. I have no idea how to do that. It'll send no. it. I just send it midnight. That's when it's coming. That's why it's a text, right? It's not supposed to be bothersome. I, I, I'm really like impressed with how much um, farmers are willing to try and learn and understand some of this technology stuff. What is the average age of a farmer right now? Like 57? Yeah, 62, something like that. Like, it's, whatever it is. Like, that's... My dad is 50, and he is completely incapable of using technology. So when yep. you think about the average age of a farmer, and they're trying, it's, like, really... It is pretty neat to see, like, the computer stuff. Most of those, you know, farmers in general just say, yeah, I'm going to stay away from it. But the phones, you really put it in, a, you put it in a planter though. Yeah, wham, that wow, too. Yeah, and boom. But you know, getting weather on the phone, I think I had, changed. Oh a lot. yeah, I had another yeah, con- consultant tell me about a great interaction he had where he asked uh, uh, an associated grower, oh, "What do you use for your for your planting? What do you you know? What's your monitor system?" And his answer was iPad. He said, "No, what 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 program? <laughs> iPad. iPad. Yeah." Okay, okay. So, so well, why don't you just give me the iPad and I'll I'll figure it out. Figured. We'll just walk away from that one. Yeah. What What do you use? iPad. Well, so. even weather, like climate, like I mentioned before, that is weather. I think John Deere, you can look up weather on. Maybe I I don't remember. I'm sure it does. I feel like everything has weather now. Um, but yeah, having probably a couple different weather apps because everyone is a little bit different. different. And even check. just something as simple as Google Maps on your phone. I've had so many guys. Text me screenshots of fields. Yep. Like, oh, I picked this new piece yeah. of ground up. So it's so easier cool. than saying it's on County X, 
after this road, before this road, by the tree. I mean, Google Maps is nice too because it works on iPhones yeah. too, which back, is cool. Back where back where Randy Johnston once one time rolled his truck off the side yeah, of the road, exactly. that field, and you're like, take a left at the white fence, not the first white fence, it's the second yeah, white yeah. fence. So I had one this morning. He just he took a screenshot. He x the fields that are new, and boom, I can get everything rolling, and it's just a lot. That's just I think data communication and, and being a little bit quicker on how we can do things the is so much nice. Last app we like, right, Matt, is Evernote. And yeah. it's like a note-taking app. And then it syncs with your computer, syncs with other stuff, and, you know, even just having to-do lists or it's, making notes. It's got to be similar to notes on Apple, right? It'd be, yeah. it'd be very similar. It, you can do voice memos, too. You can, yeah. you know. Pictures that are GPS kind of lined up. It, it's kind of a, got some unique features that make it, interesting for on the farm just to kind of do some daily daily things with it i think if you're a large operation the uh, voxer that we use to communicate i think that if you have to con if you have to be communicating with 10 to 15 people on a daily basis i think it's definitely yeah it's way explain nicer what voxer is a little more so max it's, it's a you know like right now in a group chat between an iphone and an android you can't it's hard because they're not on the same platform so what voxer does is it takes Everybody puts them into the same platform, and then you can communicate easier. Um, in it's a big supposed to be like message. almost like a walkie-talkie at the same. That's how it started. Yeah, and there's some voice things, but I would agree that the 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 text type of features to it now are great. Where if you had your whole harvest crew on a on a one box, and they could all manure crews easier. Yeah, manure crews where you're working. You know, at at one point in time, they're two miles apart. You know, like you got. It's nice to be able to communicate in one place and not worry about oh this guy has an android and this guy's an apple so i have to send out two separate messages yeah like you said most guys uh maybe aren't as great with technology so they probably can't turn off the notification and you will not miss any voxer notification it is loud uh, it is i I love when we're all in the same room and we get one because it's it's like a chorus (laughs) yeah what i like it for what what i like the voxer for is like if you've got um you know, a couple guys on a specific farm that you have to talk to and you want to just send out a message like, you know, whatever it is. And the son sees it and the dad sees it. You don't have to hope that you don't have to yeah. make two messages and you don't have to hope that the dad and the son talk to each other either. I, I like that it tells you who's, who's who, who, it, who it. it was delivered to. It'll say delivered. And then it'll also say open by or seen by yeah. like yep. seen, seen by. by. So, you know, like either you ignored me. Or or you haven't opened it yet. Like yeah. then you at least know, hey, what I sent out made it to where it was supposed to go, and the information I needed to get passed along is passed along. So yeah, just a few apps there to hopefully help you manage your time a little bit better and help run your business. So now let's move into our next segment here of the Ag History Minute, and we're gonna roll down the river. Some nice banjo music as always. So since we were talking about profitability, return on investment, all that kind of stuff, I thought uh, this was a little more fitting rather than a specific thing in egg history. thought, what is the most profitable crop in history? And so if we go back to 2016, I found an article out of uh, Penn State Extension talking about the most profitable crop. So before I give an explanation, what do you guys think the most profitable crop in history is? Just out of on a guess, hemp. <laughs> hemp. All right. Bill says hemp. Money tree. Max thinks if you could grow money, money tree. tree. 
What do you think, Ted? I don't know. This is a hard one because it would be a lot of stuff. Cotton? Um, no. Rice? I know there was a... Or they call them flowers and all that other... Just crop, right? Crop. Yep. Oranges. Just crap. I'll Orange. go corn. Oranges. Like, when, when, it hit, corn. when it boomed. All right. Yeah. So um, the gist of this article talks about how, um, you know, throughout history things have changed, guys. Crops have changed, and we went from... You know, wheats and more grains. We talk about the bread basket back in, mm-hmm. you know, early days to corn, you know, the three sisters, corn, beans, squash, then corn took off. So there's been a lot of a lot of movement across and really um it doesn't matter what crop you grow. <laughs> okay. So that's it's kind question. of a trick question. Yep. It's you a little trickster. <laughs> he in the article he says, you know, he's seen profitable grass hay growers. And he's seen unprofitable grass acres. So you can be profitable or unprofitable with anything. It comes down to penciling things out, like we've been talking about. You want to make sure that you're making money. Look at the dollars per acre against your inputs, not, you know, oh, I got 300 bushel, but I paid 80 bucks an acre to do it. Um, so there, there isn't necessarily one crop that stands out as it's a guarantee you'll make money growing this crop. And we've seen that, I think, over the last few years, too, commodity prices jumping around. You know, at some points, beans is more profitable, sometimes corn, um, sometimes so, so what hemp. You're, so what you're saying is it doesn't matter if you have a high-input crop like corn or a, a low-input crop like grass hay, grass hay yeah. to horses. You can lose your behind or you can make your... Make yep. your living. You got to be the one to. You got to manage every crop you the, plant. That's right. The, the tax collector comes for everyone. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I would really like to meet some of these unprofitable uh, grass hay growers because input wise, that's pretty, yeah, pretty small inputs there. But. You would imagine that it's got to be in the equipment cost, right? I mean, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. You, you would. Have that to has be. to be your problem. It can't. It can't be. It's not fertilizer or seed. Right. So. But yeah, or so, you don't spend any money on fertilizer yeah. and you don't get any yield. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. If you're complete zero, yeah. It's dry land sand and you're not you don't have irrigation, so you can get maybe one crop a year. Uh, so so, ma- so manage for profitability, not Yep, don't ultimate yield, right? Don't try to find the silver bullet of I I just need to do this. I just I need, just to need find this crop. That crop. Yep. Well, like hemp is right now. Yep, <laughs> hemp's kind of that was going to be the savior. Yeah. But if everybody grows hemp, the market's going to get flooded, and then it's not going to be that profitable. That, that's anyway. a whole another podcast. Hemp yeah. that was yes. going to be that was going to be the savior until we figured out how much work it was going to be. And I was like, uh, uh, how crappy uh, it grows. Yeah, how, how specific you need to be on depending on what you're growing it for. You know the requirements of the crop. How, how much paperwork you have to fill out to grow it. That was part of the problem for some guys. Yep, needing a license. Um, so yeah, don't think about it as oh, I just need to grow this crop. Think about it as I just need to manage it for profit all Good. right so let's move on next up we're going to return to our uh, field correspondence with our outstanding in our field segment so max who do we meet this week uh this week we are going to go to our field correspondent jake mcgiblets from new richmond wisconsin he is a turkey farmer um uh let's dial him up That's todd all right Hello. Jake, how's it going? 
Oh, I'm doing good, don't you know? It's good good to hear from you. Everything uh everything uh, nice and safe. Lot, lots of snow up there in New Richmond, I heard. Yeah, you know, we got some snow. Uh, we're we're pretty close to Minnesota and they got a little bit more. Uh that's actually where I'm from is up in Minnesota. Oh, uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's it's I'm really unfortunate. I uh, well, you know, I the tur- turkey farm I bought was on this side of the border and I thought, well, Still close to home, you know, New Richmond, not too far from uh, from the Twin Cities there, and uh, I grew up just outside. Uh, a little disappointed, you Wisconsin boys uh, got the axe back. Yeah, if you ever need to borrow an axe, just let me know. We got like 30 of them here. Aren't you used to the Gophers disappointing you? Or? Well, you know, the, after the first quarter, I thought, oh, we, we're, we're going to make a game out of her, and then uh, she kind of went downhill from there. We uh, kind of... Impressed our will upon you guys. Yeah, well, I I think Ohio State's going to impress their will on you guys <laughs> <laughs> this week. So. Well, that could be yeah, you're right, Jake. Yeah, that not, could be Jake. I'm but, not going to fight you on that one. But um, you're going to be sitting at home and watching your Gophers. Not watching your Gophers. Yeah. At least I can sit home and the Badgers will be playing. So you're right. They could get throttled, but I'm I'm hoping for a at least a game here. Well, that's Jake. what I got the turkeys for. Hey, so, we have a chance. To have a chance, so as our coach would say. So, Jake, uh, you were saying before how you were thinking about taking us out for dinner, seeing as you had just sold your twenty-eight million turkeys uh, for Thanksgiving. You know, it's it's really like Christmas for a turkey farmer. Thanksgiving, you know, you you just watch that ticker go up and up and up, and all these turkeys going out of the store. Pretty cool. <laughs> well, I'm really we're really happy for you. We we're glad that you were profitable this year. Yeah, you know, I always like to look at profits. I, I make sure that I uh, I count my turkeys before they're hatched and, uh, you know, keep everything going going nice and, and smooth for the turkeys. Jake, do you do you grow your own feed for them turkeys or do you buy it? Uh, I, I buy a lot of it. Uh, we've got a little bit of acreage, but uh, most of it gets bought through commodities. And, uh, you know, Jenny O pays us pretty good for our turkeys. How many turkeys you got in them barns? Oh, I, I keep about... Five, six thousand turkeys. Ooh. Wow. Hmm. Very good. Anything else you'd like to uh, tell us, Jake? Nope. I uh, just, just want to wish you uh, good luck uh, getting reamed by Ohio State, and uh, we'll see you later. All right. Thanks, Jake. God, you're kind of a jerk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah screw that guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the Badgers. God, that was really. He gets the axe one year, yeah, parades well, it around the state. Takes it to the state fair. Everybody's got to touch it and you take lose, pictures. You lose one axe, you're labeled for life. Yeah. That was a pretty good game, though, guys. We watched it again on, on Sunday. Yeah. You, Just as good the second time. Oh, my God. I'm still smiling. <laughs> you, you, you are you are a next-level Badger fan. You're the only person I know who rewatched the game. The only people I know who do that are Patriot fans that rewatch the oh, Super Bowls. Super Bowl. So that's the class that you're in now, Bill. How well, do you feel? I have watched... Uh, Super Bowl, the Brett Favre Super Bowl, a couple of times. Not me too. Not the, not the Aaron uh, Rodgers one on VHS. Oh, VHS. embrace debate. Is Brett Favre better than Aaron Rodgers? No. No. Oh, wow. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, spicy. All right, we better move on All before right. this gets a little too yeah, contentious. No, let's, uh, let's leave the sports behind and move into you applied. What? What did you do? So here again is our segment on uh, talking about different chemicals. So we might have a common. Active ingredient, but the names are all different, so it's always important to read the label and know what you are applying. So, Todd, this week it was your turn. Yeah, this one's a layup for you guys, but I thought it was kind of fun. So, the four chemicals this week are 
Fexapan, Extendamax, Ingenia, and Stay Camba. What do you think, Max? Um, so dicambas, <laughs> obviously, is what we're talking yeah. about. New I'm, formulation. I'm going to say the only one that sounds like a hotel instead of a herbicide <laughs> yeah. is the odd one out. So I'm going to say Stay Camba yeah. is not, that in is fact. an awesome hotel. Actually. Stay Camba, drift on yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. That one hurted. <laughs> yeah, yeah Stay Camba, definitely the odd one out. Sorry, too soon. Yeah, too soon. yeah. Too soon. I just thought, you know, talking different, make you know, obviously we got to get the... Classes. I don't know if we got to retake them this winter again or not. If you did it for your certifications, um, it did a lot of extend to max and a genie last year with pretty good luck. So, um, yeah, Just, it can drift, but I think if if you you're making sure guys follow the label, which is hard, and we know all that stuff, but yeah, different. I was just glad to see at least we had a couple co-ops willing to do it. And, yeah, yeah. And they they I I thought did a pretty good job of you know knowing when was the right time to spray it. And I think we got to still remember that we should kill four to six inch weeds, not two to four feet weeds. Yeah. It's not that good. Killing seedlings, not pine trees. Right, right. Good point. Yep. So. Just because this is a new technology and it's the best thing ever, it still has its limitations. Yep, absolutely. All right. Todd, you want to give us your plug for today? Yes, the NACC. If you like what you heard, please visit the naicc.org which is the national alliance of independent crop consultants and there you can find a crop consultant in your area that is independent and not selling any product and can help out your farm today all right well there you have it we talked about roi and different ways of looking at managing your farm we had our egg history minute that there is no per- one profitable crop. We talked about some apps that you can use in your business that help manage your time. And we had a shout out to New Richmond, Wisconsin, to our Jake McGiblets, our correspondent there. A little bit of dicamba talk there at the end. So thanks for listening. And as always, happy farming. <laughs>